so we used to do observation tours before um before the pandemic which is never going to end there's a new variant out which yeah. is always going to be fun um so get used to this everyone um but so we used to do observations and people would come and just observe in classrooms and then we would reciprocate them and I, sometimes i would go into different centers and different environments and i'm like there's no dirt there's no like there's no uh walls marked up there's no crayons like it and i'm like this is this is a little bit too clean this is this feels like a surgical table um and and i'm just wondering do we do we put on a show like when other people come in yeah you know i'm glad you pointed that out because it's um you know one thing that i remember being at hilltop when we found out observations were coming in of course we want things to be a little bit presentable hmm. and you know we would try to magic erase the uh <laughs> the markings off the wall but you could still see a light red streak of it right so it was still evidence of there um but yeah sometimes you know i i and even now walk in the classrooms and i see these beautiful decorations and provocations and wonder you know do the children actually get access to this hmm. and like who is this actually for exactly you know or is it just what I like to call pedagogical eye candy. Mm. I do love me some sweets. Whoa. All right, y'all. So everyone knows that child care is essential. We're some of the most influential people out there. Yet, we are often overworked and underpaid. So how can you work full time, have hobbies, show your friends and family love, self-care, and also fine tune your skills and grow more in depth? That's where we come in. These napcasts are designed to help you learn on the go, hear another perspective, spark debate, <laughs> heck, even agree with us, but honestly remind you that you're not alone. We live in a complex world, so allow us to challenge your perspective. So are your headphones in? Did you turn the volume up? All right now, good. Let's get it. What type of candy do you like? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to go with something nutty and chocolatey. Gotcha, gotcha. I, I'm a candy corn person. Oh, I know. I know. Oh, I just, really? We just lost a couple <laughs> listeners right there. <laughs> yeah, that that you pose a really good question. Is this who is this actually for? Mm-hmm. It's just like when we put documentation up. Are we putting it at the eye level for the children to actually comb through? Or do we put it on these high shelves where they don't have access to it and um, it, it feels like this foreign piece of uh, object for them? Right. And even like the materials themselves, uh, I guess you can think of the materials and the documentation, like what's the quality of it? Mm. You know, and when a child, I mean... Sure, children are still learning about what quality is in a sense, but I think the more that they um, see how important we put something out and, or, and, and the degree of what we implore them to take care of it, then they're going to learn what quote-unquote quality is or at least the respect and the relationship that should be had for that documentation or that material. Yeah, it reminds me when um, sometimes I'd put out fine china for children. And 
I, I have their confidence I, after, you know, obviously coaching them mm-hmm. and things like that. I, I trust them to maybe, I, you know, sometimes I get a little nervous, but I trust them to not drop it, to, to treat it with respect. Yeah. Um, and just like what we do with our, you know, native plants, you know, we, we call them relatives. Mm-hmm. And I tell them that this is maybe not in, in that terminology, but this is something that we should care for and respect. Um, it's you're, you're providing layers of what this object is, right? And just like people, objects and our plant and animal relatives all have these deep meaning layers in which we put upon them. And that's an aspect of culture, right? And culture mm-hmm. development. Um, and yeah, you know, that, that China practice that came from yours truly, <laughs> I, I, I kicked that off over at Hilltop a long time ago. I was like, where did I get that from? I, was, I mean, I don't think you, were, yeah, you, you weren't, I don't think you were there in the classroom, but, um, you know, it definitely was something that, uh, you know, people saw our toddlers handling some fine China. And we talked about the idea of what is fragile mm. and how do you hold on and, how do you hold on to something fragile? And so, you know, for all the adults out there listening to this, like you can rely that rely on that children will understand nuanced words and complicated words or quote unquote complicate complicated words like <laughs> fragile if you give them an appropriate context, right? Exactly. And like for them, that appropriate context was we're eating our snack on this fragile item. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you break it, it will shatter into a lot of pieces. And there's a possibility you can get cut. <laughs> so it's kind of making it still going back to, to them because that's where where they're at developmentally. And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but it, it also means, it also just brought up in me, how do we, what importance, importance do we place on items, mm-hmm. on uh, uh, material items? And what is that communicating to children that, oh, this is more important than such and such? Yeah. Um, yeah, without going down much of a rabbit hole, but I, I get what you're getting, um, what you're saying, and there's a fine balance of it because if we think about this in the lens of through, um, indigenizing our education systems, it's about creating relationships, right? And I think that is one thing that has gotten away from a lot of, uh, or I guess what we would call as the colonized way of thinking is that there's a lack of relationship mm-hmm. that it's this individual and this piece of China or this material mm-hmm. and that's it. There's no connection to it, but by bringing in, uh, I think a, a healthy layer and, um, deep meaning connection between the individual and whatever the thing that they're dealing with or being in relationship with, then that's when we start. Um, I think we can find that, uh, that, that proper balance of, yeah, how much do we, are we putting, uh, encouraging material possession mm-hmm. and whatnot? Because even our material possessions, like the forest, the lakes, mm-hmm. the earth, everything that's tangible, we live in relationship with. And even our synthesized things that are plastic, right? Mm-hmm. And it still is all reciprocal. So I go into all these various different spaces, um, and it, it communicates so many different and evokes so many different uh, emotions and thoughts and provocations in my head. Um, and, and I'm honored to be able and, and blessed to be able to be invited in, in different spaces across different pedagogical uh, approaches and ideologies. 
but I, I kind of want to not take it that far, and I just kind of want to narrow it down and just ask you, Nick, what do, what essentially when, when you were in the classroom, now in your program, just in general, what do you hope to communicate in this space? Um, whether when you're setting it up um, at the beginning of the year or, or say you you realize, actually, this isn't working for the children in my classrooms, how I thought the space, I should set this space up. So then you alter it in the middle of the year. What do you want to communicate to the children, um, to other adults uh, who come in and, and are in relationship with you? Yeah, I think the, um, I'm thinking about, um, as you and I were kind of talking about, like, you know, it's kind of like you, when you walk into your living room and you just feel that, like, all right, time to just adjust things, move mm. the sofa around. <laughs> I do that away. <laughs> yeah. And I think when we do that with children, um, either with them or, or for them, um, you know, depending on their age level and whatnot, what we're essentially is, uh, communicating to me is that it's okay to reset energy in a space. Mm. And I think when you do um, physically move things around, you're resetting the energy and mm -hmm. it gives children like whole inspiration. Especially when I've always like, like, like to get down on my knees and I'm like, okay, is, this is how the toddlers are kind of seeing it. Right? The peripheral, yeah, get yeah. the perspective. Like, can I see where my particular favorite car is at? Can mm. I see where the markers and um, paper are at? Um, and so I, when re uh, readjusting the energy of a room, um, I always try to think about what is this new landscape going to look like for the child? Even though it's the same space, just sort of moved around. I remember when my my mom would do that in the living room, I remember it just sort of always blowing my mind. <laughs> it's like, well, it's everything the same, but just different, right? The plant can move? Did it work? And, and, legs? and <laughs> I wonder if in those moments, we actually give children a, an interesting um, and small exercise in like perspective taking, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you just gave that to me, right? Because I've always got down on their level as well. But now I'm thinking about what if I laid on my back? Mm -hmm. What if I lay down right on my stomach like it was nap time? Mm -hmm. um, and then try to get that perspective. Yeah, what does it look like in different time periods? Exactly. Time segments. Or, you know, we're talking through an able body lens. What if I had someone who might have broken their foot? Right? Mm -hmm. How does that look like if you're on crutches or in a yeah. wheelchair? Which I've never had an opportunity to be with, uh, work with the children with various abilities. But, um, yeah, now that's something. <laughs> It's something to consider, yeah. right? It's mm -hmm. definitely one of those tools to add to the, the teacher tool belt. Um, you know, one thing that you and I have talked about before on NAPCAST is like making sure we're providing an environment that says yes. Mm -hmm. So when you are doing that, and like we were talking about previously, are the materials that you're putting out, are you going to actually be able to say yes to that? Or at least develop a classroom, a collective classroom culture of like knowing what is open and um, able to say yes to versus others. So I, I, I want to pause there and, and go a little bit deeper into that because we've said that before, but I'm not sure which episode it could have been like our first episode. So I want to just revisit that. What do you mean essentially by the pedagogy of yes? Yeah. Well, you know, I always use that climbing shelf mm -hmm. uh, that I've used in presentations and it's essentially this really sturdy shelf that had uh, three tiers on it. And, it not only as a shelf held the children's materials and, and toys that they just had access to, 
um, that it it just screamed, climb me, you know, and children would. Because it looks like, like, like stairs, yeah. essentially. And so they would climb up on it, and, um, and then they would be up on top of this thing. And then eventually, my co-teachers and I had to realize, like, you know, we feel really icky just saying no all the time. Like, get down. That's not safe. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Rather, it was like, how do we put the power back into the child's realm? And they just let us know, hey, I'm climbing. I will you come spot me or are you ready to spot me Mm -hmm. and so you know if we take the ask away from it and empower the child to let us know that 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 we need to be ready for what they're going to do then that's a way of saying yes and so then we would build you know a Mm -hmm. culture of like how to coach them up and climb and then eventually they wanted to jump and so you know we put our uh, big comfy chair next to it and then they would do that. But in order to get to yes, we had to build a relationship, right? And build a relationship of, um, of knowing each other's abilities and comfort levels and, and really just working within that. Now, now I'm going to put on my, the, the hat my mom used to wear, you know, those, you know, she was a black woman from the Caribbean. So she had those, those big, you know, uh, church hats. Um, yeah. and I was like, mom, you're just going to the store. I don't understand why she'd be like, boy, anyways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I know right from her in ch- child care center, she did say yes to those mm-hmm. things a couple times, but then there was times where she was just like, absolutely not. Like, I, from a cultural standpoint, I don't want children climbing on furniture. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about the children, like in our classrooms, who might come from that cultural lens of no shoes in the house, no shoes, like don't climb on oh, couches yeah. and things like that. How do you then navigate a world in which you're essentially competing between their home values and their, their home lives mm-hmm. in the, this space where anything is possible for them. Well, and again, you know, life isn't black and white mm-hmm. and that there are some spaces you can do things in that you can't. And if we even think about like, use your inside voice. Mm-hmm. Oh, what does that, that even mean? That's an outside <laughs> voice. Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute, but in church or my religious uh, organization or in this other indoor space, we get really loud exactly. you know, when we're happy. Mm-hmm. You know who makes the rules. And so there's all these segmented ways that children um, learn or are conditioned of how to be. And I think if you want your classroom to be able to say yes to this degree of like climbing on furniture and and whatnot, that it's important to engage with the family and be like, "This is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Here's the language we're using, and it's okay for you to say you can do that at school. Yep, that is a place you can do that at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like the gym is the place where you can run around. It's one of like an indoor gym. Oftentimes mm-hmm. we say, use your walking feet inside, yeah. right? Again, going like the indoor versus outdoor. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are spaces indoor that children learn that like, oh, this is where I can do this in. Exactly. Yeah. Like walking in where it's super wet and muddy. I'm like, all right, walking feet. But as soon as you turn that corner, like, Hey, first one to the classroom, right? There's a Ryan egg or like, or last person to the classroom, yeah. Ryan probably shouldn't use that language, but you know, you get the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and another thing that I want to point out uh, about this pedagogy of yes, is something I spoke about in, in my exchange magazine article um, with the mayor who we had on earlier in the year. Um, on the on, on Napcast, and we'll undoubtedly have Brother Gilmore back um, somewhere down the line. But we were talking about the pedagogy of yes when it applies and comes to Black boys, 
and black humanity and black boy joy. Um, but really, obviously, all of this can be applied to any child, but that was just a lens in which we were um, speaking through it. And essentially what we were saying is, and I, I use this line for a different interview that I did a couple weeks ago, um, but essentially I'm saying yes to you in the moment, not just for, you know, ish and giggles, you know, but as a teacher researcher, you know, I'm, I'm noticing that you are fascinated right now about something in this moment and I'm going to say no to this schedule of when I, I arbitrarily made up that I created in order to have some sort of structure that says we are going to eat at 11.30, but I'm going to say no to that, and I'm going to say yes to you in this moment, because you're noticing maybe for the first time in your life, uh, a butterfly, you know, coming out of its cocoon, or uh, a worm coming up from the dirt, or, you know, you're noticing someone sleeping on the bench, and you're wondering, like, hey, like, is that their, is that their bed? Is that their house? What is this tent situation? And I think if we say yes to just slowing down and being more curious about what our children are being curious about, you know, we can really put their learning journey first above the idea that we need to go by, once again, this schedule. And I think paired with that, the pedagogy of yes is, is how we are so quick to say no. So I, I offer this this question to to people is that what if we just said yes more and and not necessarily in the literal sense because some people take that literally yes um oh I gotta go around and tell children yes more but I'm talking about like if a child is having a big emotional reaction to something are we saying yes to that like absolutely have your feels be in your feels you know what. I'm sad too. I'm going to cry with you. You know, I'm going to be in this moment with you. I'm going to validate you by, by acknowledging how you're feeling. And I'm going to give you that space in order to, to let you heal. Right? And then do we have the, the patience to say yes to ourselves to allow us to, to pause and to slow down and then coach them through these feelings? Right? I, I think that's a way that we can say use this pedagogy of yes to be like, yeah, you know, to humanize our teaching. So, yes, I'm going to bring in different materials and methods. Yes, I'm going to stop looking at myself as the expert because this piece of paper that I paid $50,000 that says I have a degree in something says I'm, I'm, I'm qualified, right? And I'm going to, to a degree, reject that. And, and I'm going to say yes to this black child or to the community. And I'm going to bring them in and I'm going to scaffold them in and I'm going to lean on them. Um, and I'm going to build relationships with them. And, I'm, and when we talk about family, we aren't just talking about mom and dad, right? Because for my, for me, for me, when I say family, I'm talking about my cousins came through my aunts, people down the block, right? People at the store. Those were my family. That was my community. And I, and I wanted my educational system and settings and classrooms and organization to say yes to them. So if you're going to say family, say yes to all of that, right? Because we're going to roll up 20, 20, 25 people deep. And I, and I think that's a, that's a, that's a paradigm shift. And 
children are already coming to us with so many lived experiences and we need to be able to create spaces that says yes to all the different ways in which they are coming to us and not just in our classrooms but overall like people in leadership need to do that right our programs need to do that too um and you know i, I think also <clears throat> one thing i wanted to talk about about how our yes often gets shifted when we uh when we when programs choose to become a part of uh, either using like out of the box curriculum resources or um, signing up for quality rating systems, right? Uh, oftentimes, those rating systems and curriculums call for something that's different than what the educator envisions for their classroom. Mm. Um, and oftentimes, it, it's like you have to have all these materials out which then equates to like a bigger mess for the teacher to try to help coach mm -hmm. uh, children into cleaning up. And then you get into a whole mess of things there um, where children may or may not be ready to uh, start that process. Or, or maybe it's just going to be, you know, just a, just a hassle. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, I see it as like, it now becomes this colonized way of saying, I have all these resources hoarded here, but they're only accessible to you when I tell you they are. Mm -hmm. And I have to have all these resources and materials here. Otherwise, we don't get X amount of money. Exactly. And apparently, if I have all this here, then that equates quality. Mm. And and so, it, you know, I guess, like, like yeah. it's all these really sticky, like, points that um i think as and especially in communities of color and and, uh, and in cities of color uh, and where schools are at that you know they're sort of pushed up against the wall of like having to go through all this and not to say it's not doable but at what cost we'll be right back hey it's mike you know the guy you spent a good 20 minutes just listening to? Nick and I love doing these. But do you know what's more fun? Doing these in person. And that's exactly what we've started to do. We've hit the road. Well, kind of, sort of. Because, you know, <laughs> COVID's still a thing. But we are now doing these workshops with organizations. Being featured at conferences. And having these conversations with college students, high schoolers, and middle schoolers. And we'd love to come hang out with you next. If you want to bring us, you already know what to do. And that's drop us an email. And I always get, I don't know, I always get, feel funny or weird when educators are like, well, I don't want my classroom to get messy. I'm like, well, you're in the wrong profession. Yeah. <laughs> You're in the wrong career. And every single, even if you put out less materials, even if you're, you're scarce in that, you know, you're intentional in it, but you're scarce in terms of the numerical uh, amount that you have, there's still going to be opportunities. And uh, in, in, you're still going to have to coach children from the beginning of the year. Like, hey, let's clean up mm -hmm. before we transition to a new activity or a new um, provocation. Like, let's tidy it up. So I don't see what's the difference between putting away 10 things versus putting away 
25 things because it's the same process. You're still going to probably have to repeat yourself right. at times anyways. I think the things that I've seen the difference in between the 10 and 25, right? And like what I've communicated to kids is like, oh, I notice you're pulling out a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Are, let's think about, do you want a big mess to clean up or a small mess to clean up mm-hmm. or like a medium size, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of putting the ball in their court. With that. And so I think that's one of those like tips before you get into this, like, Hey, you dumped everything out and I never preemptively like tried to warn you of like what the sort of consequence was going to mm-hmm. be. Um, and the other part of that is when you, I mean, think about it as an adult, if you walk into a messy space, it can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And for a child whose prefrontal cortex is just barely developing and that like overwhelming feeling mm-hmm. and they don't know, like it's better. It's almost like this, uh, um, like fight or flight experience. Yeah. Right. I like, I'd rather just run away from the mess <laughs> rather than go through the process of cleaning it all up. And that's so true for a lot of our things in adulthood, right? We'd rather just run away from the mess. That's true. Um, because when the mess is potentially that much bigger, we don't want to deal with most of it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's where I think um, I would encourage educators to like, yeah, even though the kid made the mess or whatever, encourage teamwork. There you go. Right? Like, don't just put it on this young child, but be like, hey, I know this is a big mess and you created it, mm-hmm. but I'm here to help you out. Exactly. Like, let's do this together. And I, and I- <laughs> And I know that right now we are talking about children and specifically our work with children, children, but I feel like we could take the last 120 seconds and apply it to so many different situations that we are trying to solve now that, that we've been entered into adulthood. Uh, so like, let's just rewind. Like I was taking a couple of notes. The, the first thing we said about like two minutes ago was about being messy. You know, th- this world is messy. It's super messy. And if you don't like your space being messy, okay, yeah, sure. Education probably isn't the best place for you, the best field. You know, you can choose not to be an educator by trade. I'd argue that we all are sort of educators, but that is totally a different topic. But um, But it's not like you can stop being a human. You can't trade that in for something else this ain't the matrix you know and then we moved on to to coaching children on the size of the mess and and here we are still being coached on anti-racism and anti-oppression principles ideologies and frameworks and for so long we've been taught to run away from it or dig our heads in the sand rather than just addressing it and granted there are people trying to clean it up or you know at least some of us are saying we, we want to, but for for so long we had, you know, like the the eighth, the the twelfth of the fourteenth century uh, century version of you, Nick, <laughs> you know, who's out here saying, Hey, you know, I notice you're being racist or I notice you're you're letting lead into your drinking water or hey, I I, I notice you're dumping all of our plastic into the ocean. Do you want a bigger mess to clean up? But, you know, we ain't listen. And now here we are in in 2022 at at the time of this recording, looking at all the toys we dumped out on the ground and being like, well, damn, well, well, we kind of screwed this one up. 
And I think the most maddening part about it, I don't know if maddening is a word, but we're just going to go with it, um, about it is that we are continue, we still continue to punt on these topics. You know, so you said it best. Uh, adults run away from the mess because it might feel overwhelming uh, at times rather than just going through the process of cleaning it up. And we don't want to deal with it. We don't, you know, we don't, but, but we need to. We need everyone to pitch in um, and encourage teamworks. You know, sure, you didn't create racism, but we can upend it if we work together. I didn't create sex trafficking, but I can actively work against it. And like you, Nick, you didn't create an economy based off of profit and not on people's basic needs. But you can work to shift people's focus. So, I don't know. Um, beside me right here, there's a children's book titled, uh, What Do You Do With a Chance? And that is, you know, my colleagues gifted, gifted this to me and it, it hits home. It's so true. Like on the back, it says, what do you, what do chances become? New friendships, exciting opportunities, and daring discoveries. You had a chance to listen to us on this napcast. So what will you do with it? Which now kind of spurs my uh, my second question, which is this this concept of mine versus ours, um, like ownership over something, as opposed to to this is our collective space. Like you just mentioned, this is our collective mess, essentially, in order to clean up. And, and I know you talked about this with, with toddlers. Could you, could you tell me more about that? About making a space that's um, ours and the, what was it? Ours versus mine. So a yeah, lot of times yeah. children are like, this is mine. This is my toy. I want to play with it. Rather oh, than okay. this is, hey, this is actually our yeah. space and our toys, toys. And this doesn't necessarily belong to you or yeah. even and some, the yeah, classroom. I think sometimes I'd be uh, a little more sarcastic to a toddler than I needed <laughs> to be. But, but it was in a way, or at least I can see where it sounded sarcastic. Mm -hmm. You know, if they would say like, my my car or whatever. I don't know why cars always come to mind. Yeah. But, um, and I'd be like, did you bring that car from home? And they're like, no. I'm like, where did you find the car? Like over in the car basket. I'm like, where does the car basket live? I'm like, there on the shelf. And I'm like, and where's the shelf? In the classroom. And I'm like, and where's the classroom? <laughs> you know, they're kind of just yeah. bringing it out to these different spheres. Now, that would take some time like, mm -hmm. throughout the year. But, and I would also, um, and I would eventually hear kids saying, like, and they would, you know, they always repeat our language. And um, one thing I would say, it's not yours, you're using it. Mm -hmm. and uh, and that's okay, you know. Uh, and it, it, it's about, yeah, the materials that we're, again, living in relationship with, that I think if we carry a, a perspective and readjust or rewire our perspective to, to thinking that, like, I am here with this stuff rather than mm -hmm. I am here and I own this stuff mm -hmm. just because I'm here. Um, I, and it's interesting because 
just like with a lot of the genderized language that we've heard, like, you know, calling a truck a boy or this a guy and that a guy. Um, she always leans masculine. Yeah. But with in terms of ownership and property, um, a lot of the times young children are told, like, this, get your this, get that's yours, pick up that, mm, you know, mm-hmm. yours. yours. Possessive. It's more possessive, even if it's not theirs. Mm. Right, like I heard um, parents refer to things. Get your library book. It's like does it? Yeah, you yeah. hear that like <laughs> that opposing thing right there? It's a public you know, library. <laughs> yeah, get your public library book. Mm-hmm. And we don't. And again, it goes back to like what we've also said and other things is being cognizant and aware, aware and intentional with our language. Mm-hmm. Because when we're not, we start communicating these very nuanced things that I think especially you and I are trying to, you know, deconstruct like things of ownership and, um, and individualism, right. And genderized things and whatnot. So I think it's important that we be mindful to let, uh, be specific about what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Grab that library book. Now, now that you work in an indigenous, uh, based center, do you have any tips or advice or just ways in which you've connected? Um, hey, there was a classroom here before you, or there were people here before you, and uh, the the seven generations before and seven generations mm-hmm. after kind of concept. Whether it's materials, whether it's that borrowed library book, have you? Do you have any? Um, I guess just thoughts. That was less of a question, just open an oh, yeah, yeah. invitation. Well, I mean, nothing, you know, it's interesting, different. It, it's different dynamics. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a school who, um, the school that I'm at now, that I would say, um, always keeping its head above water to try to have resources. And so when we mm-hmm. do have resources, you don't want to let them go. Yeah. And because you don't know the next time when you're going to be able to come up on these things. Whereas... At a hilltop at the time that I was there, there was, and and maybe still true, that there was still plenty of resources. Mm -hmm. And so we were kind of going in this opposite direction, right, of like trying to implore to kids, these kids that are coming from particularly privileged areas, um, the things that, that, you know, that Native people and Indigenous people already sort of know but then they're also stuck in this other cycle. I know it's kind of hard to explain, mm-hmm. but um, and I guess what I was hearing you ask me though, it reminded me of the um, the blocks practice that I did in uh, in Raindrop Room at Hilltop, where you know we would do um, we would take like instead of having dolls or something, we would take uh, kids' pictures and the adults' pictures. And put them on like little blocks, mm. like little unit wooden blocks. And then the kids would use that as like a doll or mm-hmm. like as a person. <laughs> and then, you know, I had the idea of like, well, why don't we put them on our bigger, like bigger unit blocks like that are like about a foot and a half long, maybe eight inches wide. Um, like they're big blocks. And, and then I realized like, oh, why don't we just leave them on? Like once this class or these adults leave and then for the next people that come in, we can say like, oh, this, here's Mike's face. He used, or Michael, let's say you were a child or something in there. Like he used to be a raindrop kid and now he's a mountain room kid, Mm -hmm. you know? And so kind of 
layering that idea that like before you stepped into this space, there was a whole bunch of other people that were there. But the important piece is that we make sure we leave evidence of that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and sometimes I think people leave evidence of that through their documentation and their display boards. Um, but how visible is that to children? You know, do they have access to that? Like a material like the big block. So I want to wrap up today's conversation because we, we talked about what do we want our environment to say to children? But what do you want your environment to say to, to adults, to grownups, to anyone who's, I guess, under the age of five? You know, I would say I want my environments to say that, um, that children are capable. Mm. And, and by that, like, meaning that everything you see out isn't just as a museum display, but they actually get to use. And that means sometimes there's glass jars out, right, that they're able to access and do it. Um, it also, I want my environment to say that there is a reciprocal trust in making sure that the physical, mental, emotional, and, and spiritual environment is intact and that it isn't just one way of being, but all of those ways of being spiritual, uh, cognitive, emotional, physical, they're all going to be honored in one way or another. Um, and that this environmental space, you know, doesn't just say yes to what you can use, but just says yes to, to just being you. Man, I should have went first. Ah! <laughs> yeah, what about you, Mike? <laughs> I, I want... I don't like a lot of space. I, excuse me. I don't like a lot of stuff in my in my space. Yeah. So I want this room to communicate that once you enter this room, we're going to think and we're going to use our minds and we're going to use our bodies and we're going to use our senses and we're going to be creative mm -hmm. in everything that we do. So I feel like the less materials that you have, because it's easier to jump from one thing to other thing and, oh, I know this block set and this is how I played with it historically. So I'm going to jump into the, that same kind of cyclical psycho i don't know if that's the same word but the cycle of play mm -hmm. and i i, I want to reject that i want to avoid that um and i want to bring in different types of materials open-ended materials so that hey we're going to take this string and we're going to create a hot air balloon out of it or whatever that you know that they're coming up with and i want them to fly mm -hmm. 